As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You're listening to the Wild 7 Podcast Network. Listen different. All right. Now here's the plan. Eddie, you're going to go down to the flop house. Talk to Jumbles. You know, the snowbird with the alderman. He owes me some Gitas. If he tries to give you the gate, whip out your Roscoe and squirt metal. But if you do that, lamb off quick, or else you're looking at a three-spot in the jug. Tommy, you're going to go down to the clip joint. Talk to the high pillow. Ask him for some tea, and I don't mean the kind you drink. He's going to want a pair of C's, but you're going to talk him down to a yard. And Tommy, quit kicking around the gong. It's bad enough that I got to work with a hophead. Joey, Biff, Wilma, you're going to go down to the can house. Talk to Opal, you know, the chippy with the nice gams who's always got the gasper in her kisser. See what she knows about any ice. And don't be cracking Foxy, or else her palookas will give you the Broderick. And fellas, no pitching woo. You can have a smell from the barrel, but don't go over the edge with the rams, or else you got a trip for biscuits. All right, any questions? Oh, uh, well, I, I have a couple questions. I, I, I'm unclear. You I, see, I just don't what, really what get what you're word saying. You what the don't really make any fuck did you say? just say? I don't get it. In the words of Alex Rogers. Episode 31, All in Good Time. Well, for about two weeks we was reading and riding and rolling our cattle through the great Americas, from the lowest plains to the highest mountains. Sorry, my tufas weren't fully in, that's why I'm messing up my words. Well, and eventually we 
found ourselves a live stream. I, I, we didn't understand what that was. I, I said, well, I, there ain't no stream about it. Can't touch it, can't jump in it, can't wash nothing in it neither. Welcome back, my fine, freaky, fishy, friendly friends. This is Alex Rogers, recording and reporting from a timeless zone in which your listening is the now. Now everyone just settle down, everyone calm down. Everyone sit down there, just, just calm down, calm down. Don't, don't you love it when you've seen in movies, <laughs> or in real life, when someone who is not calm and they're clearly kind of edging towards panic, but they, they're doing the whole fanning down movement with their hands to everyone, everyone, sh- 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 everyone calm down, everyone, everyone, please, please settle down. <laughs> Well, I feel a little that way right now, my friends, and not because of any real danger, but uh, I, I'm going to keep it totally real. I'm on drugs right now. Don't get it twisted. Don't start speculating that I'm on some crazy freaking drug. No, no, no. It's an everyday drug that we all forget is a drug. Caffeine. And boy, caffeine. I You, you put the fiend back in caffeine. I'll tell you that much, Skip. No, it really is um, just one of those, like, whoa, I just had lots of coffee today. And did I know I was going to get into a kind of place? Yeah, I kind of did. I kind of knew that was where I might be headed. Um, but I, I've just, I've had a, a, a few sluggish days, and I just kind of thought, let's go for it. We got to record an episode, after all. So... Uh, that said, I'm feeling a little jumpy and jolty, and I can only imagine what I would be like on some serious speed. Uh, but, you know, wow, coffee is a strange little RX, let me tell you that much. I hope everyone is grooving just fine as wine, but not too much, just enough. And uh, what do we got going on right now? Gee whiz, I heard not only is there a Delta variant, what am I hearing, a Gamma? Are we just going through the Greek alphabet just because? Or, or is there real merit to these things? Um, you know, I'm, I'm always going to be ready for a joke, though. You tell me there's a, a Delta, I'll say, when? When does it arrive? You know, kind of going for the airplane job. We, we know, Alex, don't explain it. Oh, okay, okay. And then the gamma, I'll say, did you say grandma? <laughs> but I hope everyone is nevertheless keeping it cool, keeping it safe, keeping it groovy, and keeping it moving. This has been one heck of a week. I'm really uh, excited about a couple things coming up, and uh, I, I'm going to leave it kind of vague, because don't worry, you will know in good time. All in good time. Yes, but, but, but why are we here? All in good time. Yes, but I want an explanation. All in good time.
what was he doing there? Well, um, brief aside, that little, what I was sort of going for back there. Have you heard of Tales from the Crypt? Of course you have. Do you have an idea in your mind? I bet you're seeing that. Hello, ghouls and girls. Okay, yeah, but, 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 cool as that is, cool as that show is, you gotta go even earlier, because I do believe the first visual entertainment to have the word Tales from the Script, <laughs> from the script, that's a different thing altogether. Tales from the Crypt as the main title, 1972 film. And, yeah, it's very much like what we know Tales from the Crypt to be. It is a series of horror vignettes. And uh, at the time, they didn't have any talking skeleton rotting dude with lots of annoying puns. I'm one to talk. I love puns. In fact, by the way, I... uh, People who poo-poo puns, I poo-poo you. Find you a little uh, hoity-toity. Oh, boom, puns. Oh, I'm sorry. Do we not like how there's lots of uses for words? But, uh, yeah, Sir Ralph Richardson. This great old English actor, and he is the Crypt Keeper. And he says, all in good time, because he knows what he, he's got some people locked in the crypt and he's got a tale for each of them in which they were all they will all be central characters and they got some deadly dealings coming. Uh, but that's enough of that nonsense, uh, even though you should check it out. Cool, cool little movie. But come on, Alex, stick to what you were saying. OK, so. At Wild 7, we've got some wild stuff coming up. Uh, I don't want to give you the details just yet, but do indeed keep those beautiful ears open because uh, we got some treats coming your way in all in good time. And I want to give a special thank you to Emily, who is uh, newly recruited aboard the Wild 7 mothership. And uh, she's been awesome. I've been working with her a lot this week. Uh, we're, we're putting together some audio. And uh, you'll find out what kind of audio real soon. But it wouldn't be possible without Emily. So thank you so much. And I look forward to working with you more. And I know there are others of you who have joined Wild 7. And I shall name you as well. All in good time, because I haven't worked with you yet. And once I work with you, I think it's actually then uh, prudent. I believe it's prudent at that juncture to, uh, is that how they say it? That's more like W, but if HW would be more like, uh, that wouldn't be prudent at that juncture. Kind of like if Mr. Rogers was a little uh, uptight. So, um... Yes, it's been creative, productive, and boy, if you are creating out there, you know, it's, uh, Jim Morrison has a great lyric in Riders on the Storm where he goes, like a dog without a bone, an actor out alone. So the actor is out alone, and not just the actor literal, but the artist. We often, as artists, are going out alone, 
and doing the best we can by ourselves because we carry little globes in our minds and hearts and every facet of the body in which uh, it really is kind of a, a personal expression. But the uh, reality is you are here amongst many. So how are you going to be an individual when you really can't do everything as an individual? What are you going to do? Be an octopus before it's time? So you got to have... Goodbye, little hell, my friend. Oh, baby, I'm a little hell, my friend. I'm a little hell, my friend. I'm a little hell, my friend. Well, some of you tuned the F out after that because I'm... <laughs> hey, Alex, why are you saying the F at this point in juncture, at this, at, this, at this juncture? Why the hell are you saying that? Why the fuck are you saying F? You've said F fuck enough times. You don't need to censor yourself now. Gosh, it's so funny, man. I, I, I do, because of this massive amount of coffee in my system feel this kind of invincible feeling like I'm like, you know, I believe that I'm approaching the summit of brilliance. <laughs> so can you imagine me on coke? I'm not, I'm not, don't freak out. I don't intend to, to do it. I do not intend to do coke. What have I done in my time so far? I have done. Y'all know I smoke weed. I've tried acid. I've tried psilocybin. That's mushrooms. I've also, uh, tried, um, what else can I say? Well, those are the ones I'm going to share for now. Don't worry. There's nothing evil about the other things. I just, I'm not ready to talk about some of those experiences because... They're good content for another episode. Not because I got anything to protect. I will say I'm not interested when it comes to drugs to do anything that is uh, in the speedy realm, he says, after he had massive amounts of coffee. Well, I will admit, I think I do love the speedy rush and sometimes the kind of kickstart rumble to the brain that it can give that you get out of coffee. Beyond that, it seems a little scary. I've seen enough worlds out of Goodfellas and Boogie Nights and things of that ilk and things of that nature, which uh, have definitely schooled me into the reality that you don't want to do coke. You don't want to do meth. We've all seen enough of Breaking Bad, whether you've seen one episode or all of it. Uh, we know that those are not fun. They don't look cool. Um, and you know, my friends who have gotten into all those above, you know, they're really the hard ones that kind of, uh, uh, as various people have pointed out to me, kind of jeopardize your soul and your wallet. Um, from what they tell me, it doesn't sound fun. So anyway, uh, that's Joey Diaz who's like, so I don't know how the fuck we got on that topic, but you know, there you go. Uh, so, um, you know. That that's uh that's the reality of it. But boy, I I I do feel this beep 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 going on with the coffee. 
And um, I'm really glad I know my own speed. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Another pun. In fact, call me the Punisher. Oh, stop it. Stop it. How dare you? You're sculpting things with words. See, I learned things literally and logically. No, 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 logical, man. You're not invited right now. Well, of course I'm not invited. I would need a proper invitation. You see, you're using your language in a rather loose way. You have to be careful about how you construct the syntax and idea. It's pronounced syntax. You're out. You're disqualified, logical man. This is my show. All right, well... Let's get down to the cinema. So, you know, again, uh, things are crazy. We don't know what's going on. We, we don't know what's up with the pandemic. I'm still just as isolated as ever. And what are you going to do? We're, I'm surviving and I'm doing my thing. And what helps me to keep things goofy and curious and uh, rather amazed and mesmerized is to get into the good old classics. Oh, by the way, I, I, I don't know this guy. I have no uh, affiliation with him. I just love his work. I, I haven't seen his face. It's just based on his voice. I'm guessing that this is an older gentleman who has his own YouTube channel. And he is... Forget going to IMDB trivia, which is fun when you can read that and pick up the scoop on some things. But if he's covered it, go to him instead because you get a complete breakdown on movies and he brings up really cool facts. So anyway, his name is Landum C. That's L-A-N-D-U-M capital C. And uh, I think the channel is called Landum C goes there. <laughs> And he has this tagline where he'll say, and let's chase the classics. <laughs> and I love his uh, channel. So um, I recommend if you want to get a good breakdown on things and, and to kind of whet your appetite and get curious about these oldies, these old movies, then, then check out that channel. Uh, now back to me, back to me, the star of the show. Thank you, thank you for tuning in. It's back to me and my brilliant ideas about movies. No, guys, I'm not a film reviewer. I, I have no aspiration to be that. I just have some wild thoughts here on the Wild Seven Studio. So let me uh, let me bring it to your uh, to your consideration for your consideration. By the way, that shit cracks me up when uh, if you live in L.A. or I imagine New York. Or any of these target cities where we better have a good box office or else it's considered a failure. Um, and yeah, speaking of speedy things, look at me, I'm, I can't hold one thought down. I blame the coffee. No, blame yourself, Alex. You can't blame something else. Or, well, anyway, the, 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 the connection, though, here is Scarface, 1983, Al Pacino. In, I told you to tell she was in a sanitarium, no sanitation, man. Uh, that, it, classic, right? Classic in terms of 80s classic, no doubt. Um, it's still fucking great. We all know it. If you don't know it, you do know it. That's how uh, ubiquitous it is. 
But did you know it was considered a failure when it was first released? Based on what? Based on what? Just because of opening weekend. Not enough, and to quote and do the voice of Quentin Tarantino, not enough asses in seats, all right? <laughs> so I uh, that is very unfortunate because uh, if only you could then, in moments like that, if you're part of the movie, see a little uh, crystal ball into the future and realize, no, 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 this movie is going to be culturally definitive. But, you know, opening wink, wink, wink end. Yeah, exactly. Everyone winked out and fucked up on that one. Y'all should have been paying attention. Uh, it's happened before. I think that's what happened to Shawshank Redemption. We all know that that's one of the greatest movies ever made. And what happened when it came out? I think it got buried under whatever. A lot of ignorance. Anyway, gee whiz. Come on, man. Okay, I'm going to do my best, folks. I, ha I have thoughts on things that I actually saw recently. Not all these other titles, which are so cool. And I'm glad I've mentioned them. But let's just... Uh, let me bring you in. Ding, 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 ding. Come in, children. Recess is over. <gasps> What do you mean recess is over? Well, you're in the 17th grade. There's no more recess. Come on, don't embarrass me or you. Get inside. Recently, oh, I mentioned in the last episode, I saw Stanley Kubrick's The Killing. That was a goodie. That was a really, really goodie. And that was a shitty whistle back there, but I'm not going to try it again because we got to keep this train moving. The Killing is before Kubrick is like Kubrick, Kubrick. And what I mean by that is, I would argue, um, I would say 2001, A Space Odyssey onwards, you have this definitive like Kubrick as an independent powerhouse of madness style that is very him. Now, this movie, The Killing, is still unique, and I would say it's one of the better noir examples, because it's got all the goodies that you want in a crime drama, especially from this period, which in this case is 1956. And um, it's really cool. It opens up at this racetrack, and it's even shot in the beginning very kind of on the spot kind of almost shakily, like a documentary. So it's got this gritty realness in the beginning. And you know Kubrick, even his old stuff, it's very well lit. You know, I forget that these guys who initially are working with black and white, they are not just like, oh, well, we don't have color yet, so I'll just point the camera and click black and white. No, 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 no. They, are, they have an art that they're working with. And some of these guys, like Kubrick and his eye, he always had it. So even in this movie, which it doesn't feel like Clockwork Orange or Barry Lyndon or The Shining or anything else, but it is a guy who is noticing things about this cool genre, which is quite simple. It's a heist gone wrong. We know this one, but this is cool. It's not a bank heist. It's a heist at a horse racing track where they realize there's buttloads of cash all over that joint, but you need to do an almost synchronized ballet dance routine precision to carry off the job. Carry out, carry off, you know me and my prepositions. Again, move it along, come on. 
Gallop, horses, racetrack, yeah. And by the way, I was always confused. I always thought to myself, well, the killing. There is a lot of killing in the movie, no doubt. You get a lot of deaths. But I have a, a, a new interpretation of the title. And no, no one says this in the movie. It's not that on the nose. But I think the killing refers to uh, the big amount of cash they're going to steal. You know how we say like, oh man, that 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 must have cost a killing, right? Or, or you, you make a killing on this. The killing, right? We talk about that when we talk about a big money, like a score, right? A killing. I think that's what the killing refers to. So that was a goodie. And again, d- defied my little prejudices towards black and white cinema. And uh, I think even as I recall, not a bad soundtrack. One thing I realize is pretty uh, the same as I remember it, and it's something I just have to kind of overlook, and it's just my little asshole opinion here, but I have noticed that for me, soundtracks get much cooler as you get into that golden period in the 60s that I enjoy. Don't get me wrong, there's some great shit. How about Bernard Herrmann, anyone? Anything from the 50s by that guy is as fresh as anything you'd hope for today. Um, But I have noticed like 40s and 50s cinema, they sometimes have this kind of just too much going on. This is too... Also, you know, in your westerns from this time period, there is a lot of... You know, it's just, it's a very bouncy little kind of jolly situation, which, you know, again, what I prefer, I think, ultimately is the... Sergio Leone with the Ennio Morricone score over it because that just that's the most like whoa like kind of badass like you're in the west with this flare of romanticism and and uh, even kind of um, badassery going on there's just something about these jaunty old little soundtracks which just make it seem a little harmless now what isn't harmless (laughs) and this is something I want to quickly talk about okay I saw three westerns, uh, and they are as follows. 1946, Duel in the Sun. Gorgeous, by the way, in color, 1946. You heard me right, 1946 in color. A lot of um, classic names of people you may know. Uh, Gregory Peck was in this one, and boy, was he such a pain in the ass. He was actually sort of the heavy well, at least as far as a heavy goes, he was a ruffian, kind of the Rhett Butler character, but instead it was Gregory Peck, and I hope this impersonation was satisfactory. And uh, also this guy, Joseph Cotton, who I know, you know, he was in a lot of stuff back in the day, including Citizen Kane. And, um... Boy, she was great, by the way. I loved the lead. Jennifer Jones. Don't know nothing else about her. I got to do some research. But she was great. She was this fiery flower. As she was already kind of... Orson Welles, he also... He narrated the beginning of this movie. And he talked about how there's this great wildflower. 
and I realize this is not a very good Orson Welles, but of course, how could I? Is I should only hope to be the voice master that he was, so we'll leave it at that. But um, fun movie. Uh, I'm, but let, let, we're going to put a fork in that because I got something very important to say. But let me rattle off the other Western titles that I saw. The Searchers, John Ford and John Wayne. And that's a pretty famous title. I had seen it before. I've, I've actually seen it sort of like one and a half times in the past. But I wanted to give it a real like, hello, I'm here. I'm diving in the classics and I have these 37-year-old adult eyes. Now let me see what this movie's all about. So I saw that one. And I also saw a Howard Hawks classic that I had never seen with the Duke, John Wayne, Red River. And uh, so there you go, Duel in the Sun, The Searchers, and Red River. And uh, they were all pretty damn great. I I enjoyed all of them. Now, here's something that all of them have in common, and it's just unavoidable, and it's something that I've seen in these old Western movies. And while we can say that they're unavoidable, I still think as an audience member in 2021, they should be addressed. Uh Uh-oh, this sounds like he's talking about outdated cultural representation in movies, 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 or not even representation, I should say. That that would actually be something. He meant to say presentation, presentation, presentation. But yes, how we are, really, actually, what I should be saying is depiction, 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 depiction. So, um, look, here's the reality. The West was a racist-ass time. We shouldn't, I think, try to, like, politically correct that if you're going to do stories today because there weren't a lot of woke cowboys. Let's just keep it real. But what does need to be corrected, and this was really bad in Duel in the Sun. In short, there's a character who is a black woman And uh, she is the servant to every important white main character in the movie. And they made this character, and I don't blame the actress, I blame the writers and the producers and the director, because this was very intentionally a depiction of a really clueless and, um, and, like, how she even speaks is sort of of a timbre of of annoyance and just not getting or even caring that she is in a very bad social economic situation. In short, there's this thing I've noticed in old movies where Hollywood doesn't know what to do with this. They know that they're showing the West. They know in their hearts, okay, this was kind of a racist-ass time. And if there's a black character, or er, um, er, the other characters, they're not going to exactly be nice. But then they do this uh, real backpedaling thing where they'll have these characters be like, well, I just, you know, if only I knew better, but until then, I'm so happy to just do whatever you all need from me. And that is really uncomfortable to watch in 2021. And I'm not here to give any of these movies like a star system of points, but if there are stars to be given, a lot of them uh, dwindled out in the grading of Duel in the Sun. And, and, And they weren't like supernova explosions. These were sad little fizzles. Because, um... 
if they really had been brave, and they should have been in 1946, because again, quick little uh, thing here. Look, they even mention in the grand um, voiceover in the beginning of the movie, the 1880s, I think that's that's the big fetish for a lot of Western movies, is they love that 1880s. It's after the uh, very, um, you know, uh, uncomfortable uh, uh, story of the Civil War, so we don't have to deal with that. And it's before this lame uh, ending of the West that we all uh, wish hadn't happened. So the 1880s, you know, where like uh, dashing train robbers and all that are happening, that kind of shit. So, by the way, of course, in the 1880s, Yes, the Emancipation Proclamation has happened, but as we all know, that was not exactly observed or honored or anything truly proactively done about once signed. So, I can buy that, of course, there is a black-serving character in this story. I can totally buy that. But you gotta show... I mean, they even show her at one moment by herself with her own thoughts. And... It was a little sad. They showed her kind of brainwashed in the situation. Um, But they still tried to make it goofy and funny. Like, look at her. Isn't it silly how she knows no better? (laughs) And that I found insidious. Um, It's just like, you're not dumb when you're in that situation. I don't buy it. Even if you've been conditioned into it, you can't be enjoying every moment, surely. I'm just making a guess here. But to show a character not have... I mean, if they were really brave, they could have and should have shown this character doing all that if they had to. But then, if they're going to show her in a moment of by herself, she could have been like... Like Sheriff Bart in uh, Blazing Saddles when he has a little moment alone and he looks straight to us and he goes... They are so dumb. So, you know, because she is with a lot of people who are dumb. At one point she says, I hope I get married. And the lady of the house, who we're supposed to like because she's this lovely motherly character. And she goes, marriage? Oh, (laughs) like, oh, you, no one's going to marry you. Like, just silly. Um, Now, again, if these characters are ignorant, fine. And in fact, some of them were blatantly silly ignorant, and I got what they were going for. But what I find problematic is, and to a certain extent, it was also in The Searchers a bit, because uh, just kind of not too many good Indians in that story. And when they were, they were kind of goofy and sort of uh, just all too eager. There's this thing where they show, it's like, okay... We don't know what to do with these non-white characters. So just be kind of clueless and goofy. And then that will kind of make people who are in them in turn clueless and goofy in the audience kind of go, oh, I guess that's how that works. (laughs) So that, I'm afraid, just does take away from the enjoyment of some of these classics. Now, am I going to throw everything out with that? No. I am going to keep it real, as I have done. But let me at least... Oh, by the way, okay, because I'm going to talk about the duel itself in The Duel in the Sun. But let me just give you an exception to this rule. Or not really an exception, but like uh, uh, on the other hand. On the other hand, in The Killing, going back to that movie, which is made 10 years later, in 1956, 
there's a part where you have this character who is part of the whole uh, uh, operation that goes down to do this heist. And his job is to go to this little uh, hill that's a, like almost like a quarter of a mile away from the racetrack where he's supposedly just going to be one of these guys who's just, you know, out there to watch on his binoculars. But really, he has a sniper gun, and he's going to snipe one of the horses. I know, animal lovers, watch out. Uh, and he's going to, by doing that, it's going to cause a massive distraction and then help the other guys do the robbing in a much easier fashion. Da-da-da-da-da. But the guy who lets him in, the parking attendant, is a black gentleman. And at first, and, and the guy who's, who's the sniper, he's white. Now, here's a situation in a movie where the white guy is flippant to the black guy. And in this situation, there's a real karmic answer to it. Because at first, the white guy is smooth because he's not supposed to be there. In fact, he doesn't even have the proper credentials to park there. But... He and the parking attendant both realized they served, uh, you know, in the same war. That must be either at this point World War II or Korea. One of those, I forget. But it's like, okay, well then fine. I'm going to do you a solid. Man to man, right? Man to man. Well, later on as this crook is, is scoping out the track and, and trying to be all smooth and get his sniper gun ready... The parking attendant, he comes up with a horseshoe. And he goes, hey, you know what, mister? I just want to give you this horseshoe as, as a sign of good luck. I hope the horse that you're uh, betting on, you know, does really well. So he's trying to be nice. And what does our dude in the car who's trying to get his sniper gun ready do? He not only dismisses the guy, he throws the N-word to his face as crassly as it sounds. And the parking attendant is like, you know what? And as much as he can say for a 1950, he should have, honestly, if, if, if white guy's allowed to say that, he should have been able to go, fuck you. But, uh, you know, he just, he storms off, but he throws the horseshoe down on the ground right behind the car. And after the sniper does the deadly deed and shoots the horse, he tries to make a fast getaway, but he backs up over that horseshoe, pops the tire, fucks up his whole plan, and parking attendant shoots him dead. Now that, at the very least, is a very good situation where the other character is like, okay, if you're going to be ignorant and dumb towards me, there's going to be an answer for that. So the thing that I find problematic about some of these westerns is that they do show the ignorance of white people. Okay, good for that. But the answer to that on the other side in these in, in this moment of drama shouldn't be, oh, well, you're right, and, and I don't have much to say except to kind of just giggle and just be here. So, uh, they're all worth watching. Oh, and Duel in the Sun, real, real fast, just to, to give you a little... Um, it's, Duel in the Sun, like Gone with the Wind, which is also racially problematic... They, they both are really racially problematic. It just is what it is. What does work for Duel in the Sun is this love triangle story where you have this lady who loves, uh, she loves a good man and she lusts a bad man. And there you go. There's the triangle. Now, what do we typically think? Oh, in this love triangle, the guys are going to have to duke it out and then the victor will get her. No, no, no. In this, yeah, the guys 
they don't duke it out. The good guy knows that duking it out ain't what's up, so he refuses to duke it out. The bad guy, well, he's not bad. Well, he is bad, but, you know, he's like, he's like, ooh, you're so bad. It's like that kind of bad, which in turn makes him, you know, bad, like evil, just because he's too bad. You know what I'm saying. He shoots, and by the way, they're brothers, so he shoots his brother, and he's kind of technically one but what does our lady do? She doesn't fall in his arms. She gets so fucking pissed that she hunts him down into the canyons with a rifle. And they have a duel in the sun. So it's not going to be two guys and the girl going, oh, oh, I hope someone. No, 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 no. The duel itself is man versus woman. So on that level, I highly recommend the movie. Just understand oof really insulting shit along the way and that's my honest assessment now i've already gone way longer than i meant but i have to mention one more because this one i can actually fully recommend and uh i don't think there's going to be anything that's going to upset our modern knowledge uh so 1954 i believe yes the Kane Mutiny with Humphrey Bogart. Now that is, uh, as, it, as it sounds, it's about a mutiny on a vessel in the U.S. Navy during World War II in the South Pacific Theater. And um, it's a really cool movie that deals with mental illness. And it, it's what happens when an already sort of not-too-tight-in-morale crew gets a new captain, and that's Humphrey Bogart, who clearly has got some OCD, like clinically, like clinical OCD, clinical paranoia. And man, they're using the word paranoia in a way that you can feel like even... I mean, it was made in 1954. We're not even a decade removed from the end of World War II. And the characters, some of them are like, wait, wait, is he paranoid? In fact, what is paranoid? I've never heard of that. It's, it's cool to see a movie where I would imagine both the characters and the movie going public at the time are slowly, like, finding some clinical words that are at least indeed are exact or approximate behaviors that we've always seen and are confounded by. And in short, this is a movie that shows what happens when the boss, when the captain, is off his rocker, and what are you going to do about it? Because we're all subordinates. And this guy is so by the book, he's so anal, he, he makes Captain Bly look like nothing, and that's a bounty reference, and that's a, a movie reference for another episode. But this guy is Looney Tunes, and he's played really well by Humphrey Bogart. You know one thing I love about Humphrey Bogart? Not afraid at all to look bad in his movies. He didn't need to be, he got the girl in a couple of them. He also is just a damaged son of a bitch in some of them. And he commits to the reality of the mindset of his characters. And this guy, <clears throat> Captain Queeg, who he plays, um, 
he has this cool gesture where he's always fondling these ball bearings, a pair of ball bearings. And yeah, come on, it doesn't take a, a genius. You know what that means. This guy is, it's like anal retention or like scratching your balls when you, this guy's always playing with his balls, so to speak. You know what's up. He's a really nervous dude and he's a tyrant and he barks at people. You can almost, I, I wonder if, uh, if, if there was a bit of him in There Will Be Blood in terms of kind of borrowing from the past. He's, he's got a bit of that Daniel Plainview vibe at times. Um, there's this really cool part where you can tell that on top of all of these things, he's a coward. The character, just a total tyrant emperor coward. And uh, he's supposed to get really near this coastline where there's a lot of action against the enemy. And they are not even a fighting vessel, but they, I think, are like, um, they, they, I think they tow the bigger ships closer. But he gets afraid and he kind of bullshits the crew and goes, oh, you guys don't know how to read the equipment. I can do it better. Ah, you don't know how to read this equipment. Now turn the bow around. Make a full left. See? And actually, he's not C. That's Edward G. Robinson. But Bogart, he's still all bogey dice. He's like, all right, we're not going to do this. And then, again, that's not, that's, sorry. Sometimes the two become one. I'll find the nuances as I go. But he does this thing where he says, I think the term was drop a die. So it's like marking the water to let, the team behind you know like oh this is like the mark because they're supposed to get like i think a thousand feet up close to the to the to the coastline but what you're essentially seeing because this is a guy who's a coward and he's running away and when the ship drops the die it looks like a fucking piss stain in the ocean and that's exactly what the motion picture story is telling us this ship kind of is the captain. The captain kind of is the ship. There's a part where he's just not making sense as he berates the team. And because he's giving uh, confusing orders to uh, the helmsman, the freaking ship, it goes in this endless 360 degree circle the way a sick mind will. Really cool shit like that. I, I I was highly impressed. I had seen it a while back, and I knew I liked it, but but seeing it again, I really liked it. It's a cool. Uh, it it's one of those war movies where you don't have to worry. It's not violent. In fact, it's way more interesting than like some battle movie. This is about the psychology and what goes into uh, the thinking and the points of view of a mentally unsound vessel now another quick thing about it that really delighted me there there's this one character who i feel like i would be he's the critic and like the kind of almost like the comic relief of the movie and he's a he's sort of a man of letters and he's even writing his book as you know and he's got plenty to work with now that they have this captain and it, they're, they're, the whole thing, because it's a mutiny, does lead to a court-martial. So the half the movie is like a high-seas adventure with a lot of loony shit going down. And then the second half is a great tense courtroom drama. Uh, but like military courtroom, so it's like extra tense. And during that uh, trial period, their own lawyer, who's defending them, 
he is not impressed with them. And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Look, look, look. This captain might indeed be mentally unsound, but none of you did anything to help him. And then he reminds us that there was indeed an earlier scene where Bogey kind of appeals to them and goes, uh, I always thought that uh, a crew is sort of like uh, a family. And, uh, well, does, uh, does anyone have anything to, to, to say about that? And none of them do. Now, admittedly, this is the problem with abusive relationships. They've been going through months of his endless barking and berating. So no one wants to even try to be helpful at this point. But he was asking for help in that moment. And when you think, and, and you are like the crew. You're like, fuck this guy. But at the end, as we get into the nuances of the trial, we then go, oh my God, this is a multi-layered story because they even mentioned like, yeah, yeah, he did shit. You guys were just sort of towing and doing some, some and you, occasionally you guys were like deactivating mines out there, but he served in the earlier part of this war and he's done the crazy shit that World War II has required of him and none of you saw that. So yes, it's true. He It's left him damaged and it, you're right. He's not fit to be your captain but you could have helped him now could they have can you indeed help someone who's that far deep into their own mental hell you see how i'm left with more questions than answers that's a good movie man it left me wondering so once again the lineup right here of what we talked about and again on some of these titles hint the westerns that i'm about to mention uh you know just Hey, you know who you are in 2021 and know who these people were in the not even halfway through 20th century. So, as follows. The Killing, Duel in the Sun, The Searchers, Red River, and The Cane Mutiny. I especially recommend... The Killing, and The Cain Mutiny. But hey, pick at thy leisure, and uh, I hope that whatever you're watching, whatever you're reading, and whatever you're listening to is giving you some delight, some food for thought, and some drink for later. And speaking of later, I'll talk to you all later. In the mean in-between, Thank you for your time. Thank you for your rhyme. In the Words of Alex Rogers is a podcast orbiting the mothership of Wild 7 Studios. Music by Inca Rose. Keep your ears open for storyscapes, Simpin' After Dark, and other audio goodies from Wild 7. And keep your eyes open for its first feature-length film, Debbie and the Devil.